Welcome to the Learning Can't Wait podcast, an iTutor production. At iTutor, our vision is to ensure every child has access to education, regardless of circumstance. Each episode, we will be joined by pathfinders within and around the education space who are bringing about transformational change on behalf of deserving students. I am your host, Haley Spiravauer. I am so excited for folks listening in today to meet someone who is both new to me and not new to me. It is Mike Yates, the Senior Product Manager of Teach for America. Welcome to today's podcast. Mike, how you doing? Thank you. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited about this. I'm excited too. As, as I say, new to me, but not new to me. You're one of those people on LinkedIn and in the world who's work and writings and actually a lot of content production i followed for a minute and now i get the chance to get to know you personally as do our listeners thank you yeah i'm really excited um i it's been a pleasure uh getting to know you um and i'm excited about this like from title on, on none of the questions that we're going to get into so i'm excited so so let's tell folks the title right so learning can't wait episode this is called questioning everything in education before i want listeners to know that right. before this episode goes live i confirmed that mike felt comfortable with this episode title and i absolutely. think it really you know and he's nodding his head right yep, absolutely <laughs> but i think it it speaks a lot to what kind of leadership you provide in this space and uh, really how you've led your life so why don't we jump in yeah i mean i think like if somebody asked me to to like sum up my story and my career journey like that is that that phrase questioning everything in education that's literally it so yeah ready, ready well, that'll be your next podcast title Ew. <laughs> yeah it might be. a good one you heard it here folks we first people <laughs> that's right yeah well why don't you tell us then mike how did you come to be the professional and personal version of yourself who questions everything in education yeah that's a good question so i like grew up hating school. I I was almost like a student conspiracy theorist in that when I was young, I had had enough bad experiences with school to where I really had sort of internalized that like teachers and the system itself, like was all a part of essentially keeping students down and not helping students succeed. The way I had experienced school was that like I, I at a very young age, I remember being around eight or nine years old and and really questioning like why I was being graded. I grew up in Texas and and in Houston, there was something called the rodeo. And for some reason, when I was like eight or nine, I just kept thinking like this is like they they give pigs a grade at the fair. <laughs> like why, why why am I being evaluated and given this random number that I don't really understand? But the teacher is acting like they understand and it's not an accurate representation of like what i know i didn't have those words but i just kept thinking i kept saying oh, it's like i'm a pig at the fair right and so mm -hmm. like that that's kind of how i went through school i was always poking and prodding at the school system my mother was a teacher in the school district where i attended mm, uh, adding a layer of complexity there yeah yeah uh she, she was a teacher at the middle school where i attended which i hated i just like absolutely was like this is awful but it was also where i experienced what i felt like was at that time what i felt like was 
unacceptable behavior from teachers to where they would threaten me. Like they would threaten to like, Oh, I'll send you to your mother's classroom. And I, I was like, well, (laughs) you can't do that for every other kid. Like, and it was not because I was like misbehaving. It's because I was questioning things. Like I would question why we had to do a certain thing or, Oh, you have to write this in this format. And I'd say, okay, well, is that the only available format in the world? And because the way the school system works, that's considered disrespect. They were like, well, I'll send you to your mom. Well, little did they know, like she was the one who planted the seeds of dissent inside of me. So mm-hmm. me, I was actually literally trying to help them and say, like, that's not the person you want to send me to. Yeah. That's, the, <laughs> that's, that's the, not the consequence you think it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I, I felt like, you know, at, at every turn in school, I was just I was met with resistance when I was trying to literally grasp for a meaning and try to figure that out until I ended up at a high school that ended up being a very special place for me where I had teachers that would positively engage with me doing that and like literally guide me through the world. It's where I built up a lot of my sort of belief about what learning should be. Um, went to this incredible high school that's a traditional school, but like there was like weird stuff there. Like there was an Outback Steakhouse attached to the school that was the culinary program. Like, wow. Yeah. Like, like we had like robotics labs, we had a full broadcast studio at the time. Like, remember the old IMAX that were like different colors? Oh, like, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah you could, like, see colored, basically. Yeah. Like, I remember that being like so state of the art. And I sure. like, just, just bought one on Marketplace to put on my shelf behind me for like 50 bucks. Amazing. <laughs> like, it's, it's very, uh, it's a retired product. I'd yeah. 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 And um, I mean, I was telling the guy when I bought it, I was like, you have no idea how much this means to me. (laughs) Um, But like, to me, that was a signal of like, oh, this school is thinking about the future. I don't know how they did it. Uh, I got to go back and talk to this principal. I'm still in contact with him, but they just had this odd, but incredible collection of teachers that cared about students more than they cared about doing it their way. And um, I sort of watched them sort of literally practice and grasp with that. So that that's what, restored my faith that education could be something different. And then I tried to avoid it as an adult. Like I, I, I never wanted to become a teacher, ended up just getting roped into it. I literally fell into education, didn't intend on being in education. So that's kind of how I got here. So first I want to hold space for the feelings that you're naming that yeah. are heavy, right? Like that is, that is heavy to say that you felt as a child that the system was built against you and your mind and the way that you saw the world. And that is really awful and must have been incredibly challenging. And yeah. I appreciate you sharing that here on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I, I, I've, you know, over the years, I've, I've spent time with this emotion, which is, which has been great. Like, and I still feel this way about the school system. I, I wrote this on LinkedIn a while ago and I'm actually about to re rewrite it because I still think it's true. But um, I had this realization that I was like, I am never going to be invited to the major education conferences because I am not the speaker that they want to hear from. And I, I wrote that after I got this email from a, a, a large charter school network that I will not name. And they said, hey, it's our 25th anniversary. Will you come speak to us? And I remember saying, thinking to myself, I'm not going to do this. Like immediately. I was like, I, I'm not because 
they clearly haven't like done enough research into me at the time i had a podcast that was called school sucks so i was like Let me just- yeah. yeah they didn't you don't think they listened yeah, I, don't think they, I think they missed that one. So I was like, let me send y'all a couple of links just so you can make sure that you didn't email the wrong Mike Yates. And eventually I actually just said, hey, guys, I don't feel okay with this. Like I, what I'm about to say to your people at the 25th anniversary, I don't feel cool with you giving me money to do that. So I'm just going to say no just to save us. But I, I realized that like the system is old and uh, powerful and resistant to change and that's why there are people like me out there there are people like you out there you know that both work in and out of the system so i appreciate you you naming that and pausing for that though yeah of course unlike other folks right there are going to be listeners or maybe people that aren't listening that i hope or wish they would yeah it sounds like you had a big turnaround when you came to high school and you explored Mm -hmm. and learned in a space that really I mean, you hear this all the time that that knew you for who you were and what you needed to be excited and passionate and curious. Yeah. So, I mean, that sounds like a pretty transformative experience for you. How did that shape you eventually becoming a teacher and the types of schools you I know you were invested in and built and really love to see in action today? Yeah, yeah. So. I went to this high school that was called Westside High School, and I have no clue what it is like today. But it was like it was like the new hot thing in Houston Independent School District when I was in school, and it was because they just like literally anything you were interested in, they had it. Like they had business, they had healthcare, they had like media, theater, and everything was new. It was like a new school, so it was like all state of the art. And um, I went, I got to high school with no plan. I had no hope. I thought school was whack. Like, I thought most of the kids at that school were whack. I was like, all y'all are whack. And I also, nobody knew me when I showed up because I went to school across town from there for my whole life. And so everybody sort of had this built-in friend group. And I didn't quite have that yet when I was a freshman. But my freshman year, I just kind of like went, I just kind of like got by and in my sophomore year, the most significant thing that happened to me in school is that I, I, I had this homeroom teacher. They were trying this advisory model that they got from this amazing network of schools called Big Picture Learning that I, I, I didn't put two and two together until last week and then reached out to my old principal and was like, is this true? Big Picture <laughs> Learning, like in the early 90s, like they essentially created what many people know as the advisory like homeroom model. So shout out to Big Picture Learning, but I had this homeroom teacher who was supposed to be more than just a teacher. He was like a mentor and his name is Mr. Martin. And I will never forget like the first day I met him, I was like, who does this dude think he is? He had like, like the, the, like his hair was like spiked with like the gel. He looked, he, he looked like he was trying to look like one of the Backstreet Boys. And I was like, who is this man? <laughs> like. Up here. The Backstreet Boys were popular. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, I was just like, I was like, sir, I'm not here for this. Um, but he, we, he did this activity where we had to introduce ourselves, and I never forget. I told this joke, and I don't even know where I heard it before, but I was like, yeah, I'm from this um, really small town on the outskirts of Galveston called Houston, Texas, and everyone's just like snickering at this, and I'm, I'm just like 
joke after joke, introducing myself. And then afterwards he was like, Hey, I know you are like on the, like you're, you're trying to play basketball. I know you're like trying to do this. And he was like, look, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know what your parents look like, but he's like, if you were going to go to the NBA, we'd probably already know that right now. I was like, why are you saying Wow, day one. (laughs) Yeah. Like day one. So I'm like, why are you saying this to me? And he was like, I want you to join the speech team. And I said, man, speech is for nerds. And I walked away. (laughs) Let the record state I was on speech and debate. So was I. It's I know you were. Like, <laughs> the story is, fast forwards and there we go. You right. joined the debate. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he was on me every day. Sure. I joined the speech and debate team and I realized he's actually right. If I were going to the NBA, people would know it. <laughs> um, and I had a, bl- I mean, speech and debate changed my world because I got to, I, you know, I'm a kid from the, the hood. So I got to travel for the first time and it changed my experience of school. Because all of a sudden there was this adult who was a teacher that I spent a lot of time with outside of school, practice, travel, like who saw me in multiple, multiple environments and really got to know me and my family. So it transformed how I thought about the role of a teacher. All of a sudden I realized like the reason why I think Mr. Martin is awesome is not because of the way that he lectures. Cause I actually don't ever get lecture from him. I don't know. All I knew is that he did teach for America. Um, I knew that like, I like about his teaching style. Like I didn't know anything about his teaching style, but I knew about his life, right? Like I knew he was actually the first on record, the first victim of a hate crime in Louisiana, right? Like in the state of Louisiana. So like, I knew that I knew that he grew up Catholic and his grandmother was like, you go, you go, you were born Catholic, you're going to die Catholic. And he was like, but I don't go to, you know, I I knew all of these things about him. He was human to you. Exactly. Yeah. It was the first time. you took the words out of my like that was the first time that even though my mom was a teacher, it was the first time that I was like, oh, these are like real people with real lives who like care about things. The moment that I figured that out was actually like very insignificant, but it was like he had this uh, large fear of birds and we were at a speech tournament and a bird flew into the window and we watched him scream and get up and run. And we were like, what just happened? And then he like explained to us like, it's fear of birth. But for us, it was like, thanks for, thanks for telling us that. Like, we didn't yeah. know you were afraid of birds. Like I'm, a, I'm afraid of heights. Like, you know, it was little, but it was really important. And I think like just being in a school where you could do all these weird things. Like I did broadcast journalism. It's where I picked up a camera for the first time. And I just like, I was telling you earlier, like I was literally lost in this YouTube video of a guy who films B-roll footage on his own of him traveling the world. Like he lives in a van full-time and travels the world. And if you ever watch any of his videos, his name is Jake Fru. Go watch Jake Fru on YouTube. You will not believe it, but he films all of his B-roll by himself. Beautiful landscape. So I was like lost in that, but that comes from that building where like I had a, a wrestling coach who was like, I also love making videos and decided to build a class and a club about it. Like I learned to do Latin ballroom dancing at that building. Literally anything I wanted to learn how to do, I could do there. And then I had these, these teachers who didn't care about all the traditional stuff, they cared about being human. And that was like, that was second to none for me. And that, you know, that type of schooling, which you and I have talked about before when we first met, is really the type of schooling Mm -hmm. that we see as the future of education. You and I being the we, right? And, And the hope that we can kind of get outside the paradigm of 
school is X or school is Y, but rather like take the elements of both that benefit children and help them become better versions of themselves really is, you know, a podcast for another time, but also Mm -hmm. what it's about for you. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you say that because sometimes I get like, now that I'm deep in this like education, innovation, like reinvention space, sometimes it's easy to forget that like my roots come from a traditional high school that just had a bunch of like different they were like what what people today would probably call incremental innovation but for me it was massive it felt massive for me like i've I've worked on schools that like technically have no teachers where software does all the teaching and the, the adults in the building are coach motivator building projects workshops and i think that's really cool but I would have never gotten there if I had not embraced the traditional model that was Westside High School, right? So yeah, I love that you said that. Different yeah. podcast, so we should we should do another one. Yeah. Well, we'll just stack them up. We'll stack them up. Yeah, we'll record right. for days. But that. Yeah. So so let's talk about podcasting and storytelling. Yeah. yeah, Mike, you're a storyteller. Tell tell me about the impact that you believe stories have to change people's minds. Yeah, I I think that stories are everything. It's how we view the world. And we've always viewed the world that way. Like, no matter how much you love or hate the classics, I'm one that kind of, I don't hate them, but I don't love the classics. Um, I just never enjoyed them. But what is interesting is that from the beginning of time, we have always related to each other and communicated through storytelling. I think even if you think about the modern day, like one of the things that's really interesting is that professional sports leagues have found that their leagues were like recently, they found that their leagues are less interesting when there are not storylines outside of the game. So nobody knows this is true, but there is this belief that when LeBron James was playing in Miami, uh, he had this injury where he got hit in the face and he intentionally, he purposely wore this black face mask and everybody was like, is he Batman or LeBron James? Which one is he? And there's this rumor that the NBA like suggested that he do that. And then they find him for it because they needed a villain. So I think like stories unlock the parts of people's heart that make them receptive to all sorts of messages. And everybody knows this because everybody has a favorite show. Everyone has a favorite movie. Like everyone knows this. We just don't process it out loud in that way. Well, let's think it's Halloween. Halloween was yesterday. We're recording Mm -hmm. this at the very beginning of November. What percentage of costumes were villains and heroes from stories, right? Like you have schools that embrace not Halloween, but storybook character day because stories are what tie us together and people telling their stories make a huge difference. Exactly. I think like for education, I'm convinced that if we capture more stories and put them in a place where people can readily find them, about the school experience, about what the future of learning could be if we're, if we're talking to young people and, and we just devote our time to that and our energy to that, then I actually think that you can see things change. Like everyone complains, oh, we have all these policymakers that don't know what it's like to set foot inside of a high school. That's true, but you can bring them there like through video. And now like, let's not even talk about immersive experiences. Like it, I live in Texas why, you know, I'm probably now, now that I'm saying this out loud, I'm going to have to be the one that does it. Like somebody should, probably going to be me. Somebody should partner with the university of Texas. University of Texas has what's called the advanced computing center. And then if you've ever seen the movie interstellar, like a lot of the the shots from space in that movie were taken from that. that, Like 
Okay. Yeah, at, yeah, at UT, you know, because Matthew McConaughey is like he's he's like yeah. he's the minister yeah. of culture at University of Texas. For sure. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of a legend. Like I think he exists, but like, <laughs> um, but uh, in that advanced computing center, they have what's called the Hololens, which is a virtual reality simulation that can put you anywhere. And so, why not build an experience for the state senators? who are actually down the street to go to the advanced computing center and put them in a high school classroom so they can see for themselves what it's like. Like they're, they're saying they're busy. So let's use story. Let's use media. Let's use video to immerse them in an experience, right? Like why not teach for America? Also, it's going to have to be me to do it. Why doesn't big organizations like teach for America or like UNICEF start collecting stories of people who they serve and put them all in one place that's too large for people to ignore, right? I think if we do that, then like, you'll see some change. Like we know the numbers are out there, right? The raw data is out there. We see it. We talk about it all the time. We need to make data walk and talk into people's homes with storytelling. I love this. I love stories. I'm one of those people who reads books for plot because I love stories so much. Yeah. So like I can speed read and I will devour a book just because I'm curious what happens to the people in the book I and I get it. emotionally attached to them and it's bad. Um, <laughs> sometimes it's really bad, but sometimes it's great and there's a happy ending and, you know, my brain has the the happy waves going. That's right. But, you know, honestly, you and, you know, you and I talked about this as well, but the pandemic allowed for a lot more storytelling and you yeah. had a lot of people, especially around education learning about inequity that they didn't know existed before. And for mm -hmm. me, one, that's a shame that yep. they didn't know what existed before. But two, it's an opportunity. And I love that you're naming some concrete ideas that you're going to actualize. You said it yeah. here again first. It's be me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, that, but that can actually give people the type of perspective they need to make informed decisions on how to move the needle forward in education. Yep. Yeah. I actually think that's so right. Like, I think it's because they say we can only access one side of our brain at a time is like what they say. But I, I work in product management and product development. It's just fun. Like, I, I have learned the value of just being historically right from Gary Vaynerchuk, who says that a lot. But um, I've said very often in meetings, like, it doesn't matter what products we build. If we can't capture stories around why this is valuable and why people need this, no one's going to use it. Doesn't matter. And three months later, we'll get there, right? Like three months later, somebody else will be like, you know what? We should do like a video series on this. Like, yeah, of course we should. Because like, like that, that is what draws people towards a solution. And I think like, you're right. It, it is sad that it took the whole world stopping for us to finally pay attention to certain stories. But what was, what was kind of beautiful about it is that like human beings took it upon themselves to, to highlight like what should be what we should be thinking about and talking about and working on. I, I do wonder, like I, I often I often wonder like what what is the actual impact of the stories that came about through the pandemic? Like during that time. I know podcasting was really important. I remember uh Sarah Kay was doing a podcast. Sarah Kay's a poet. I always mention her like everybody knows her. Like Sarah Kay is a poet that a lot of the people have like if you know if you like poetry, slam poetry, she's one of my favorite poets. She did this podcast with Ted, which was this like totally anonymous podcast. It was like these anonymous stories. And I just remember, I think they started recording it before the pandemic, 
but I remember uh, hearing about like the listenership just spiking during the pandemic because people were not only interested in the story, but they were like, it's also kind of cool that these people are anonymous. Like, and I, I always wonder like, what's the actual numbers? Like how many people actually related or went through the same exact thing, you know? So super, super with that. I, I've, I now, now have work to do when I leave this. Now you're leaving here with a longer list of to-dos than you came here with today. I apologize for that. But it's all good. I love it. You've alluded a few times to Teach for America. You work yes. for Teach for America. I'm an alumni of Teach for America. Again, full disclosure moment. So it's the largest education nonprofit in the United States. Why does it have a reinvention lab? Yeah. So Teach for America has a reinvention lab because it, like Teach for America has caused real harm uh, to communities in this country. The, and the harm that I'm, that I'm mentioning is like, so if you're not familiar with Teach for America, it's basically, uh, if I boil it down to its most basic component, it's a two-year teaching program where you recruit really talented, intelligent college students, and they go teach in low-income schools for two years minimum. They could go, they could go for further. I think, I think the number that I heard is that the average alumni stays, I think four years or the average core member stays like four years. So everybody criticizes Teach for America because they're like, they leave after two years, but most of them actually stay. (laughs) Um, And quite a lot of uh, Teach for America alumni stay in education long-term as well. But the thesis was like, if you have people who've actually been in a classroom and they stay there for two years, if they end up in finance or government or entertainment, they at least know what it's like to teach. And so I think like, if you peel back the layers, you're like, okay, that, that, that seems very virtuous and probably the, like the right thing to do. But the way it played out in practice, just there was a lot of elitism. elitism. Um, there was a lot of just like straight up overt racism, uh, white saviorism, uh, where you had these Princeton graduates literally going into the hood saying, okay, like, I know you're, you're a, a poor, like uneducated person. And I'm going to give you all that I have for two years. And then I'm going to go work at Goldman Sachs and probably forget about you. Right. Like that, that's kind of like the story that was being told. And that was true in some places. So the reinvention lab exists because I, and I actually will give her credit here. One of the people who was, she will tell you herself was responsible for creating some of those conditions. Teach for America had this saying, and I, I always forget the exact words, but it's like, it's relentless pursuit of excellence. I'm sure you... That's RPR, <laughs> relentless pursuit of results. That's our result. That's right. Yeah. So the person who like coined that also said, like looked up and said, oh my gosh, like we got to do something different. And at, at year 20 in her tenure at Teach for America, she said, I'm going to build this thing called the Reinvention Lab. And we are going to change the way Teach for America does business for the rest of its, is it, the rest of its existence. And then to her credit, again, she went out and found people like me who were like, I hate school. I hate school system. <laughs> and was like, great, let's use that. And let's, let's build new stuff. Let's, let's not tear down the bridge, but let's build a new bridge right alongside. So eventually we can transfer everybody safe, safely over to that bridge. That's, that's the way we describe ourselves actually a lot. It's like when they built the Bay Bridge, they didn't just blow up the old one. They built one alongside the new one alongside it and then safely transferred people over. And that's kind of how we think of ourselves at TFA. Like we're trying to help teach for America, imagine a new way of being. It's like some of the concrete things that we've done in our very, like we're, this is only like year 2.5 for us, but like teach for America had little things that like there was no policy for paying young people. So if you like 
hired a young person who's like, hey, thanks, pat on the back, see you later. And we were like, given our history, can't be the case. So we, we created the first policy to pay young people. There is now, it's not, I don't think this will be nationwide yet, but there is now a system to include young people in the selection of core members. So when you select the people who are going to go into the classroom to teach, there's now young people from that community who are going to be a part of that decision-making process. And that comes from the lab. There's also more flashy things. Like we have this really cool sneaker competition, <laughs> you know, like we're building new products and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's why we have the lab and kind of what the lab is. <laughs> I think it sets a really clear picture for retrospectives, analysis, looking yeah. at impact, right? Like, Organizations in this field, organizations being a broad term to include nonprofits, for-profits, ed tech, if they're not doing retrospectives and, and analyzing their impact, they shouldn't be in the space. That's and right. it's cool. Like I'm a skeptical alum. Anyone yeah. who knows me can tell you I am a skeptical alum. I love to hear the investment being made and how to be better. Because honestly, mm -hmm. as a human, I want to be better. Of course, I've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes. But sure yep. as heck, I'm going to analyze why I made a mistake and who it affected, fix it, and never do it again. So yeah. I'm glad to hear Teach for America, an organization that is so weighty in this field and has so much impact, is thinking about how to do better. Yeah. And, and to be clear, like, I have no idea if it's going to work. I meet quite a lot of alumni who are like you, who are like skeptical alumni and rightfully so, right? Like th there's a lot of data that says that organizations that try to change from within just never change because, you know, there's essentially like too much Kool-Aid drinking or too many people who just quite honestly, like for what, what I consider a virtuous reason, like people that don't want to lose their job, like organizational change requires role definition, reshaping, right? And, and that's, it's really difficult work. So I, I don't know that we will ultimately be successful, but what I, what I do think TFA deserves credit for is the attempt, is the at-bat. Especially the person I just like have a lot of respect for is, I mean, I'm not just saying it because she's the CEO, but like, you'll, You'll know this is real when I tell you why. Like the CEO of Teach for America, her name is Elisa Villanueva Beard. I don't have respect for her because she's doing things right. I have respect for her because she's choosing. So she like raised her hand and was like, yeah, like I, I'll take on, I'll lead, I'll lead the organization at a time when like everybody knew it was a bad time to be a part of TFA. Like, you're like, oh, I remember oh. when she stepped up. I remember reading it being like, wow, that's a decision. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And now it's like, oh, by the way, nobody wants to be a teacher anywhere. <laughs> like, like not just TFA. It's like nobody wants to teach at all. And with media, like every time I, I told her this once, like every time a, a teacher with a million followers quits on TikTok live, like that hurts Teach for America and every other organization trying to recruit teachers. And it hurts us more than we know because like nobody pays attention to media and story, but like young people do. So if I'm 14 and I'm watching a teacher who has a million followers that I think is really funny walk out of their classroom, I'm never going to, why would I do that? I'm not going to go teach. Right. So like, that's the person that chose to do that. <laughs> like, chose, And I have respect for anybody who chooses to do really hard, impossible things. And that's, I have a lot of respect for her for that reason. Okay. You just give me another idea that we're going to have to do together. Yeah. One of the things I always said, and maybe this exists, you would know better than me, but one of the things I always say is like when I was in the classroom and 
I was a Teach for America alum. I graduated a school just like Princeton, and mm -hmm. a large majority of my friends went right to Morgan Stanley, right to yeah. Credit Suisse, right to Deutsche, like all the big banks, right? They they really looked down on what I was doing. Like it was not respected that I was pursuing teaching. And I always said, wow, the respect we give at that time, it was really about like sports stars, the respect we give yeah. for sports stars, the stories that are told, like you named earlier about LeBron James that are told about sports. I, I'm not a sports fan, as you can tell, by the way, I'm using the word. Okay, yeah. I'm crying here, but the, the respect and reverence we have for athletes yep. that's the word. <laughs> is just it's unbelievable when you think about as we all know today and we all talked about during the pandemic how much teachers shape children's lives mm -hmm. we need to do some better storytelling around teachers too like teachers Absolutely. as celebrities teachers as you know there are there are people that gain their own following but what if we try and get some following around some folks that are just doing the work yeah without the following that you know without the TikTok, without the instagram without the pinterest boards like Maybe that has to happen too. Exactly. That's something that uh, is like on my um, on my wish list. You know, the other the other thing that I just plainly think should happen is I, I think that because I think there needs to be more options in, in, in on the market, both for professionals who want to teach and for students. I actually believe that professional athletes, specifically professional athletes. I believe they should be stepping up to build schools, to fund them and to be a part of them. And I don't mean like I'll, the example everybody always goes to is like the LeBron James, I promise school. And I'm like, nah, not like that. Like I personally, I appreciate that LeBron James is doing that, but I feel like he missed an opportunity to, to do something that could have been monumental. He did something that was very good, but he, he could have done something that's monumental, basically just like put his name on a charter on a, like district charter school. And I think that's fine. But like, I would like to see 17 LeBron James academies that are funded by LeBron James across the country, because if he does it, then some other rookie who looks up to him may do it as well. And if they need help, we will literally coach you in how to build school. We have really smart people who we know like Haley and we have a network of 60,000 alumni who've been on the ground. You know what I'm saying? Like, like teach for America is a big enough organization and we can make a big enough ruckus about this. If we had so the, where I got this from is like Nipsey hustle who listeners don't know is, is a rapper who died way too, too young. He had this theory that if he could build STEM centers, in the poorest neighborhoods in America that were sponsored by a real estate investor and a local celebrity in that neighborhood, then one, kids would gravitate towards the STEM center and two, he could keep them alive. Like not, this is what we're facing. It's, like, no, it's yeah, not like, no. yeah, he's not just like, oh, we can give them cool projects. He's like, no, no, no. Like they can be inspired to be somewhere where they can be safe and alive. Yep. So like, I want more stories of educators and I want more partnership from people who have money who say they care about this. And I think, I think one is probably the key to the other. Like if we get more stories from teachers, like imagine if you collected a story from every teacher in Cleveland and then an organization like Teach for America that has deep roots and like, just quite frankly, we have lots of money and lots of connections, email that to Rich Paul and say, what's LeBron going to do about this? LeBron might be likely to say, you know what? I didn't know that was going on like that in my city, let me go do something. Cause he would, I think he would.
I think the same is true for many cities around America, right? Like do it in Austin with McConaughey, do it in like do it in New York with these film and these Broadway directors, right? I think we like those those stories will move those people, plus policymakers, plus college students who have not considered teaching before. It will move them to action. So Ooh, you got me on my soapbox now. <laughs> well, listen, and that's exactly where I want you to be. Yeah. I want you to be on your soapbox. That's why you're that's why you're here with the mic. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I you know, I'm listening to you. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. I mean, where do you find the time? That's a good question. I think one of the things I'm most fortunate for is I have a really flexible schedule and I have a really amazing family. My kids are homeschooled. So I helped build a school and then we took that model and we just like built it into our house. The, the, re the reason why we homeschool is there are lots of reasons why people homeschool. And ours is like, we always tell people, admittedly, it's arrogance. We homeschool because I think my model is better than the, the private school, the public school and the charter school down the street. I just believe it is. And we found a cool community for them. So like, but like given the fact that my my wife made a choice to stay home and run that school. That choice gave me both permission and room to go out and run faster in these other places. Just to be married to somebody that's like, hey, I get it. You gotta go. Like, go and fix this for us, for the community. <laughs> and I'm gonna go do I'm gonna do this part over here. Like that, that enables me to do a lot. And, and so I, I, sl I sleep plenty. I just have a really flexible schedule where I can squeeze things in. Um, these new things, I don't know where to, uh, where to put them on the schedule, but uh, I know people that I can find that will help with this. I think that's the other thing is like, it's literally this, right? It's like, it's like jumping on podcasts. Like before I got on this podcast, we didn't know each other personally. And now, now like, like, cause I'm, I'm still going to, Hit you oh, up you about. can't get rid of me now. Yeah, it's exactly. It's over. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like it's 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 literally it's community now, right? And mm -hmm. and that's how we move this forward. Like, I don't know how I would collect these stories, but I know a guy. Like, I know a right. guy named right. Q who lives in Denver who's gonna do it probably. And I literally already texted him and was like, Hey, <laughs> I'm gonna hit you up tomorrow. <laughs> because yeah. yeah, like it's it's just community and then the, the thankfully the life that I get to live. So Oh, well, I appreciate you sharing that. I'm excited to see what comes next and how I can get involved. No, you, you have know. to be now. Like, yeah, no, we schemed this together. It's memorialized. <laughs> it's on the pod. There's no way out for me. That's um, right. You're in the game. Yeah. I'm, it's a good game. I want to be in it. Uh, so yeah. we're we're definitely like nearing the end of the time we have allotted for today's Absolutely. podcast recording. I have a thousand more questions I want to ask, but I'm going to save them for the next episode. That's right. And That's right. I'm going to ask my my typical ending question, which I think you'll have a unique answer for, which is what advice would you give a teacher starting their career? The, the, the best advice I have is that we have to do this work. And I mean, emphasis on we. I, I, there's a lot of like traditional advice out there that people will say like, but I like somebody has to do this work. This, this, like the work of education is exhausting and it is hard but we need people who are willing to raise their hand and do the work and so i think it's that and the other the other thing i would add is like for however long you have in you like run hard for like i i'm gonna just shout these guys out there's three guys that i only have ever connected with them on tiktok 
there are three black male educators and they're all in the same school, which there are actually five black male educators in the same school, which is like, it's kind of like, yeah, kind of like five unicorns have found (laughs) found themselves. And what I love about them is that they make no promises about 10 years from now or three years from now, but they're like, right now I'm in it and I'm in it 110%. I'm giving these kids everything I have. And that's the, like, those are the people that I feel like, like, again, when we were talking about highlighting, like we need to make those people famous because mm-hmm. Mr. Moore and Rodney, like, like they are the ones who are, they're choosing to do probably the hardest job in education that exists right now, which is being in the classroom. So for all the teachers out there, we have work to do. I'm, I'm doing this work. It looks different. Your job is way harder. And so when I say we, I mean, we're in it together, which means hit me up. Let me know what you need. <laughs> like I have office hours every Friday on LinkedIn live where I will literally help you lesson plan. Like I literally, I'm like <laughs> telling people open up your unit plan right now. What are your objectives? And I will brainstorm with you on a Friday. Like I am in this with you. So we got work to do. I knew you'd have a really, really great answer for that question. I, I just, I appreciate that because like everything else that I've seen you do and that I've heard you do and I've read that you do, it is grounded in reality and it also is fair. Like it's fair to say you have to work really hard. A, we need you. There's no other option. And B, like do it for as work as hard as you can for as long as you can. Yep. And I think the underlying message that you named from the, the three gentlemen you were talking about in the school, like. It's one day at a time. That's yeah. like anything in this world. Like you yep. cannot predict the future. Nothing is promised. So just give it your best one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And there, I like, there's a number of really difficult jobs that, that, that people don't love. And I just like the thing that I, that I've been confronted with lately is like, if you don't love teaching and you know, where I, I, I need to just where I got this from was in my third year of teaching, I had a student that came into my classroom and said, you know what, this teacher needs to quit. And I was like, why'd you say that? And she said, because every day when I get here, she looks miserable. She looks like she don't want to be here. And I thought to myself, wow, like, I mean, I didn't, it was a moment where I was frozen. I didn't know what to say because I agreed with her so profoundly. Like, if you don't love this, like, what we used to say at the school that we built was bring the dinosaurs or don't come. Like, mm-hmm. I know it's hard. I know you have a lot going on, but like, like, like bring what you have, all of it to, to that school building and give it to those kids. Because if you don't, nobody else will in a lot of cases. So. Whew, okay. <laughs> That's so real. It's so real. Um, Mike, this was great. And I'm already looking forward to talking to you again, either on the podcast or off. Yeah. So, so incredibly grateful you came on today. You were so honest with everybody. You shared so much about yourself and your journey. um, And you gave us a little glimpse into the future. I I feel really, really appreciative that you took the time out of your day to be here. I'm, I'm happy to meet you. And I'm glad that I got to spend the time doing this too. Thanks to everybody who tuned in today and listened to our episode. Hopefully you have a better understanding of why Mike Yates questions everything in education.
Thanks for listening to the Learning Can't Wait podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Be the first to know when we have a new episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have a suggestion for an episode, email us at podcast at itutor.com. Grow your teaching staff with just one click. iTutor partners with state licensed teachers from across the U.S. to help schools provide additional instruction to students. Whether you need them part-time or full-time, our educators are standing by to get you started right away. Head to itutor.com to learn more.